Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching with Magic, a podcast exploring the intersection of education, fantasy, and literacy. Here at Teaching with Magic, we explore the different ways that teachers in the fiction and in the real world make magic for their students. You'll hear discussions about teachers and teaching methods in fantasy, science fiction, and pop culture. You'll hear interviews with scholars in various fields about important topics in education, and you'll get to be a part of an ongoing conversation about why the imagination matters. Welcome to Teaching with Magic. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another magical episode of Teaching with Magic. I'm your host, Elise Trudel Cedeno, and today we're back with another character analysis of a fantastic teacher. But before we start today's episode, I have some housekeeping announcements that I'd like to share. Today is Labor Day of 2023, which means for many of us, school is in full swing. I've started a new position as a reading interventionist at a local public school. It's a very exciting prospect, but it's already been crazy busy. So I've decided to take a brief hiatus to get used to the new job, write some new episodes, and contact some more guests to appear. Instead, I'll be sending out bi-weekly newsletters, and I have a guest post series coming out next week on the Teaching with Magic website, so be sure to subscribe to posts and updates on teachingwithmagic.blog on WordPress. The podcast will return in about four weeks. I'd also like to remind everyone that Teaching with Magic is on Patreon. Your subscription gives you access to our Discord channel, previews and editing privileges of curriculum products, and access to live streams and live episode recordings. And as always, please remember to leave a review of the show on your favorite podcast streaming site. When you leave a review, it means this show will reach a wider audience. We want these episodes to reach teachers everywhere. So please leave a review, share your favorite episode on social media, and be sure to subscribe on Patreon for updates. Now, without further ado, allow me to introduce you to our guest for today's episode. Friends, we're returning to a galaxy far, far away to talk about the original Jedi Master, the one who started it all, the great Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've written several blog posts with my own analyses of Obi-Wan's teaching, but there's always plenty more to explore with Star Wars, and especially Obi-Wan. I invited Emily Strand back to Teaching with Magic to join the discussion. Emily first appeared on Teaching with Magic with Katie McDaniel in Episode 4, Teaching in the Potterverse, to talk about the fantastic influences that Harry Potter and Star Wars have in their teaching. Emily Strand is an instructor in comparative religions and cultural competence at Mount Carmel College in Ohio. She is also an editor and writer of several essays and books on Star Wars, Star Trek, and Harry Potter. She co-hosts Potterversity, a Potter Studies podcast with Dr. Katie McDaniel, and she is co-host and creator of Meet Father Rivers, which explores the life and legacy of her mentor, Father Clarence Joseph Rivers. In today's episode, we chatted about the fundamentals of the Jedi Order, the Clone Wars, and the ways that Obi-Wan Kenobi's teaching has changed throughout the cycles of Star Wars stories. 
we do have one note of correction. When we get to the question of the lightsaber training session between Obi-Wan and Anakin in episode 5 of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Emily references the various forms of lightsaber dueling as told in The Jedi Path by Daniel Wallace. She reached out to me recently to say that she incorrectly identified Anakin's favorite move as Form 4, but it is actually Form 5. Once you get to that part of the episode, just know that Anakin's favorite lightsaber stance is Form 5, not Form 4. Thank you all so much, and enjoy the episode. We have Obi-Wan Kenobi, but we also, we kind of have multiple Obi-Wan Kenobis, don't we? We have Obi-Wan, Alec Guinness Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. We have TV show Obi-Wan Kenobi. Which one? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, We have Clone Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, really. Yeah. And we have- Very different Obi-Wan. Very different. Very different. So- how do we analyze Obi-Wan? Do we consider him as a whole character throughout all these lenses? Or do we look at the individual Obi-Wans? What do you think? Uh, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, it's it's always a challenge to perform an analysis of any character that is so thoroughly treated throughout yeah. a franchise that has spanned generations, literally generations. And so we have at least three different actors, maybe four, at least portraying or voicing Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we have so many, his his life is so long, you know, um, and frankly, I think it could have been longer. <laughs> like I was pretty bummed when. But he came back as Force Ghost. He came yeah. back well, as Force right. Ghost, so it's okay. That's true. So we really have unlimited Obi-Wan, right? We and do. so, you know, um, yeah, that's that's tough. I think I think we do have to take him both in each individual iteration mm-hmm. and then also not forget his longer arc and the principles that he really always stands for. Always. I mean, he there's a consistency to him that is that is beautiful. You know, we can make maybe make an exception for that with um ha- with his performance in the in the clone wars right yeah and his how he comes across in the television series um the clone wars but at the same time we look at that and it and it becomes even more poignant and even more i would say tragic in light of his of the rest of the portrayals you know so so looking at the the callous way he operates in the clone wars you only really notice that that only really stands out because other people are more callous than him, you know, mm-hmm. but his callousness stands out because of the way he, pour, he, he carries himself throughout the rest of his appearances. And yeah. so, so I think it's really fruitful to do these analyses, you know, but I mean, like I was thinking when I was, I was digging through a bunch of stuff before we, before we talked and uh, I was like, I should do a whole huge big character analysis of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that would be the, my life's work. <laughs> It would. <laughs> because there's so much. There is. But hey, it means the potential for more podcast episodes. Hey, uh, yep. Right. So you can't have just one. Can't not have on just this one guy. on this guy. No, it's it's not possible. So listeners will be back for sure. <laughs> Yay. Yay. So then what do you think are Obi-Wan's overall strengths as a teacher? Whether it's in the films, whether it's in Clone Wars, 
Although it's, it's hard for me based on what, you know, not only just based on what you just said, it's hard for me to analyze Obi-Wan as a teacher in Clone Wars because he doesn't do too much. He does some teaching and they still have that master and apprentice relationship. Oh yeah. But I guess it's, it's more of a focus in the films than it is in Clone Wars that education between the two of them. What do you what, what do you think are Obi-Wan's strengths? I went on a tangent there. I apologize. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to the Clone Wars because I, I do want to oh. talk about that. Oh, um, boy. Oh, boy. You know, so the strengths that Obi-Wan brings to teaching are the same strengths that make him a good Jedi, not just a good Jedi, but the quintessential Jedi. And they're the same strengths that make him a good human, right? Mm. And and I want to liken these two. I'm going to refer a lot to this book um, I'm holding it up here, but of course your listeners can't see that, but it's this book called The Jedi Path, Ooh. a manual for students of the force. It's now, it's it's not canon anymore, but I have noticed um, that a lot of current Star Wars canon creators are drawing from it to fill out their understanding and their portrayal of the Jedi and the force and and what all that is about. Yeah. So um, including, including um, Ryan Johnson put up a really cool, uh, series of photos showing him zooming in on his library and zooming in on that book, pulling it out and pointing to the force ability that allows you to project yourself across the galaxy and how he nice. utilized that to to inform uh, the la- um, the Last Jedi. So really, really, really cool book. One of my probably my all time favorite Star Wars book. And in that book, it talks about the Jedi standing on three pillars the the Mm -hmm. order standing on three pillars and those are the force knowledge and self-discipline and i think obi-wan is an absolute credit to the order in that he he kind of embodies all three of those his connection to the force is deep and abiding um frankly you know and and i i i um i listened to your uh, episode with Amy Sturgis, who is wonderful. I, all of the things that you said about her, I was like, I feel that too. I feel that too. I want to be her when I, when I grow up. I want to be Amy Sturgis. So um, we're, we're definitely in We're big Amy club. Sturgis stands. We are, we're not even yeah. fans. We're stands. We're, we're stands. I'll, I'll admit that. I'll admit that. Hi, Amy. <laughs> she said she called him an establishment Jedi, and she's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, in the way his master, Qui-Gon, was not an establishment Jedi. Yeah. Um, and Obi-Wan is definitely an establishment Jedi, but you know, the thing about being so committed to the establishment is that, you know, these, these establish these institutions are really founded on many wonderful things. Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan was just absolutely informed by those. And those, those in a religious institution, it creates an infrastructure of a personal relationship with with the divine, right? right? And exactly. so Obi-Wan has that infrastructure. He knows how to meditate. He knows what discipline is required for him to have that connection to the force. And he knows that the force is his greatest ally. And so he relies on the force um, and that gives him a great power. So then there's knowledge. And Obi-Wan is huge on being in the archives, looking up the information. You know, you notice when Qui-Gon has the idea to test 
um, Anakin's uh, blood for the midichlorian levels, but he sent, you know, he he tasks Obi-Wan with the actual doing of that science, you know. Which and, is, and which is funny on. because I'm I'm literally just reading those uh, chapters in Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray right now, and Obi-Wan's constantly going to the archives for yes, Qui-Gon. I know. And, and Qui-Gon, you know, both Qui-Gon and Anakin are like, bleh. You know, like we we don't want to be here. You know, yeah. like I like the information, doing. but I don't want to do the research. That's what right. I have a TA for. Right, exactly. And so Obi Wan is like the constant TA, and you know, and then he's he's very he can be very professorial. So he's got that pillar too. You know, he much more so than a lot of Jedi that we see. Mm-hmm. And then you know the self discipline aspect. I mean, that is just Obi Wan's wheelhouse. You know, he yeah. has worked so hard to be who he is. And to channel every single one of his talents into the service of the order and and into the service of the republic and democracy and Mm -hmm. that is what he wants to do um you know in in islam that term jihad you know people are always oh jihad oh that's so scary it means they're going to create war against other non-muslims it doesn't actually mean that there's two senses of jihad so there's greater jihad and lesser jihad and great the greater sense of the word jihad is one's own personal striving against the aspects of oneself that is contrary to God, contrary mm-hmm. to, to the light that is inviting darkness, right? So you're constantly striving against those instincts in yourself. And Obi-Wan has that down. He is a machine, <laughs> a, a, an anti-temptation machine, right? He's just somebody, it doesn't even really cross his mind. You know, I think it's very interesting to explore you know, story-wise, it might be interesting to explore areas where it might cross his mind, mm-hmm. you know, but but for in what we see, he's just such a machine, and, and I'll make a reference to this later. There's an episode of Star Wars Rebels, which I know you're familiar with, episode three, or I'm sorry, season three, uh, episode 20, Twin Sons, mm-hmm. when, yep. spoiler alert, um, Maul finally meets his demise, and it is at Obi-Wan's hand, and I, I was so pleased to see that that was arranged that way because it brings the whole thing full circle and it does i don't think it could be any other way no it couldn't and the fight the 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 combat between them could not also be any other way because it takes literally half a second for maul to reach his end Mm -hmm. at the end of obi-wan's lightsaber and it's because obi-wan is by then just an absolute machine of the force of knowledge and of self-discipline and Mm -hmm. maul is the exact opposite Yes. Maul is just rampant with his own wills and desires and, and has allowed the darkness to consume him and his desire for revenge and his desire mm-hmm. for everything. And Obi-Wan has no desires. His only, his only goal is to protect Luke. And as soon as Maul threatens Luke, it's over. It's, it's just over. And so, you know, that, that, that is a really and, – and, and the speech he gives Ezra in that episode is just like, whoa, somebody learned the lesson from Qui-Gon about living in the moment. Yep. <laughs> You know, so it's 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 a really amazing episode. So so I would say that those three pillars of the Jedi are important. Um, his sense of duty, loyalty to the order. I mean, I could you know his you know it takes humility to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. It takes real humility, and Obi Wan has that. You know, and and yet it gives him a self confidence that is just um, it, it impresses other people and makes other people want to learn from him. His practicality, he's so practical, but this allows him to survive. This this allows him, um, I, I was looking at um, our Attack of the Clones visual dictionary. It's the only visual dictionary I, I own 
it's Attack of the Clones, which is appropriate because that's my favorite movie in the Star Wars. Right. Didn't say it was the best. I said it was my favorite. There's a difference. There's a difference. And um, and it says that because Obi-Wan is so schooled in the Force and so connected to the Force, that it is virtually impossible to take him by surprise. Mm. Because he's so steeped in the Force, he's actually seeing things happen before they happen. Yeah. And and that tracks with how he acts. You know, it tracks with everything we see him do. He's 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 on it ahead of ahead of everyone else, right? Agreed. Um, and and he brings all these. His he's really talented too. I think I think we kind of, you know, Anakin's so the golden boy that we overlook the fact that you know, Obi Wan's um, midichlorian count was probably not anything special, but he's so talented, and he he's so also disciplined that his talent really shines through. He's kind of a golden boy. Um, but he has this personal integrity that I think is probably the thing that is the most important quality he brings both to teaching and to life, this personal integrity. Um, he just is always, his, his sense of justice is unshakable mm -hmm. um, and his sense of rightness and fairness is unshakable. Now we could transition to talking about the Clone Wars because this is the thing um, yeah, that shakes his own personal integrity and 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 changes him um, in some ways. And we see we see the regret, and it, and it of course it culminates in what happens with Anakin. But we see the regret for this loss of his own personal integrity, temporary. I would like to mm. say, um, in those beginning episodes of the Obi Wan Kenobi show. Yeah, um, and it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering then to go back to Clone Wars, I'm thinking now, sometimes what I, I like to do is think about not only like how the, the teacher operates, but also how the setting impacts the, the teaching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Hogwarts, you have a physical classroom, but in Star Wars, you don't always have a physical classroom. The whole point of the master and apprentice relationship is to go out and have some experiential learning like you're going out and you're doing things and you're learning from these experiences but the clone wars is a literal battlefield in a yeah. place where people have to sometimes compromise their integrity in order to get through the separatist shooting at you yeah so then how do you think the setting of the clone wars the, all these battles all these you know all these conflicts impacted obi-wan's teaching and thereby Anakin's learning experience like do you think what do you think of this as an experiential model or was it so intense that like essentially Obi-Wan's integrity corners had to be cut was this a good setting not I guess we could even talk about how Ahsoka learned mm -hmm. from this too mm -hmm. but I at the moment I'm just thinking of Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship yeah. but we could even talk about Ahsoka too well you know it's a it's a great question because um, and and I would just like to say I was just on a, a Star Trek uh, podcast called Boldly Go, and we talked about um, the Strange New Worlds episode under the cloak of war. And I'm like, how did I ended up? How, how am I ending up on these podcasts talking about war? <laughs> because you're anti-war anti -war. person. I'm very anti-war. Yeah, I like I always tell people like I didn't get into Star Wars until I was like 38 because it had yeah. wars on the title, and I don't really like war. So war is never an ideal setting for anything, no. and I think it's. You know, it's not like anybody's celebrating the fact that they have so much opportunity for practical experience. I mean, they could have gotten practical experience 
in any number of ways. And they did, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of diplomacy needs in a, in a huge galaxy. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of conflicts everywhere that they, you know, that the Jedi would be called on to, to aid, um, yeah. you know, to, to settle disputes, to create peace. Right. And so in, in this situation, but they're put in this, in this impossible situation at the end of attack of the clones where their own people are being slaughtered and they all of a sudden have access to this extremely well-trained army. Mm -hmm. And so Yoda all of a sudden becomes general Yoda and, and goes in and does good and, and, you know, saves the, the Jedi that are imprisoned, you know, in that arena. And, um, and of course the clone wars ensue but um it's it's the it's you know it's all manufactured to bring the jedi down yeah you know you have this war that's been bankrolled by you know um who who knows darth plagueis I, it's it's hard to say darth who plagueis darth sidious yeah. bankrolled by banking clan for all banking we know clan right right which of which plagueis was part of you know mm -hmm. um now this is not canon i should say but the darth plagueis novel novel if people haven't read it that's a legends novel that really oh it's on my list be, yeah it needs to be canonized and it needs to be um or, or redone for inclusion as canon because it's it's a super interesting um look behind the clone wars yeah and so so no the clone wars really <laughs> really wrecked a lot and and I, I i appreciated your and amy's discussion of like what would have happened had qui-gon not died right but i i i don't know if i can be as optimistic about if he hadn't died first of all the whole question qui-gon would be shaming us for even asking the whole question Fair. <laughs> like, live in the moment people but yeah. <laughs> work with what you have um but, but we love you but we love you qui-gon we want you to live um yes. but you know the thing is i think even Qui-Gon would not have, I think he would have raised the alarm big time, but I don't think his his membership in the Jedi Order would have survived. I think the oh, Clone no. Wars probably would have gone forward without Qui-Gon. And, and maybe he would have taken Obi-Wan with him. That's an interesting thought, mm. you know, thought experiment. But but I don't know though. I don't know. Yeah. And unfortunately, we do end up with the Clone Wars and it's not ideal. But I think if we're looking for blame for Anakin's downfall, I mean, involving a 19 or 20 year old who is already having trouble controlling his passions and his desires in this conflict that, that just allows him to, you know, indulge violent impulses, yeah. you know, um, which he does routinely. I mean, he's, you know, they're, they're keeping tally of how many droids like i mean and again maybe some, you know they're droids but then sometimes they're not droids and you know i mean it's it's a lot of killing it's a lot of killing and that is going to teach its own lessons right it is obi-wan is not despite all his self-discipline he cannot control the environment no um and that's a very difficult situation for any teacher that's a real non-answer to your question yeah but it makes sense because you know as you were as you were talking it also kind of immediately brought to mind the pandemic and how mm -hmm. we all had to go into this emergency learning. And so there were just moments where teachers were just doing what they could to get through the damn day. To get Pardon the kids my... to sit down behind the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of running and off. Pray that, you know, a, a shirtless parent isn't walking by in the background, you oh know, like, like, oh God forbid. And if they, if they, and, you know, as a result, you know, while there were some, it while there were many issues with the pandemic and with the fact that we tried to, take 
in-person learning models and plant them behind the computer, which you can't do. You just can't nope. do it. Nope. But it continued to expose problems in the system that already existed. Um, mm-hmm. As a reading teacher, um, I got into the Sold the Story Sold a Story podcast by Emily Hanford. Are you familiar hmm. with it? No. Emily Hanford's an investigative reporter, and she looked at why we're failing to teach kids how to read for the last hmm. 20 years. Like we there's this whole history behind the reading wars and reading curriculum. Mm-hmm. There's the whole language model versus you know, the science of reading. Mm-hmm. So for the last 20 years, we've been we've been using the uh, the whole language model. And it's basically taught kids how to guess at reading. Mm. Like if I mm. were to condense the entire podcast in uh, a 10 seconds, it's uh, Heinemann Publishing and other other publishing companies and people like Lucy Calkins, for example, uh, is one of the pioneers of the whole language movement of today's whole language movement that has taught kids how to guess at reading. And so by the time they get to fourth grade, fifth grade, they can't read. They can guess what they're reading. So like your son, <laughs> if he were taught by this through this model, you know, he would look at the picture and guess what was on the page. And that's how teachers taught kids how to read. Yeah. That's how we were told that's how you teach reading. Mm-hmm. So now the science of reading is coming out um, and the pandemic really exposed to a lot of parents. Holy cow, these teachers aren't teaching my kids how to read. They're teaching them how to guess. They mm-hmm. don't know how to sound out the letters. They don't know how to sound out parts of the word. So mm-hmm. now signs of reading is coming back and particularly kids with dyslexia and parents with dyslexia. Hello, tangent. Here we go. Um, <laughs> I'm interested though. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. And I'll send you the link. Um, mm-hmm, please do. Cause it's just such a fascinating uh, look at just how the pandemic really exposed this to parents because parents were like, I trusted, you know, sending my kids to school and they would learn how to read. And I trusted these teachers to teach my kids to read. And now, you know, they're graduating from college and they have no clue. They have no Mm -hmm, clue how to read. mm -hmm. They have no clue how to, you know, dissect a text. And, you know, and the pandemic really, you know, in addition to this particular aspect, exposed a lot of other systemic issues in the education system. And so the Clone Wars exposed a lot of issues within the Jedi Temple as Mm -hmm. one microcosm, but in the, the galaxy as a whole. Right. So, right. Like which just, passions is it okay to indulge? You know, right. Um, and yeah, which passions is it okay to indulge for this, for, for the sake of just the ends justifying the means? Right. Right. And how far do we go to ensure democracy? Like exactly. how far, how far do we take this? And I think in our own, that's why I think that the prequels are really experiencing a little bit of a renaissance because they're very yeah. political movies. So and political. So political. And, and they, they, they expose, you know, the precarity of our democracy, you know, or maybe that's not the right, the fragility of our democracy. Yeah, definitely. And fragility. yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and how, how easily can be brought down and how, I mean, you know, you see this all the time. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at people and the way that they operate and I'm going, how do you like, we're, how do you we're sleep at night? Well, and we're losing facts. We're losing facts as a basis of knowing because people mm-hmm. just won't necessarily believe the facts. They'll just believe what they want to believe. And and so, yeah, the, the Clone Wars, I, I just so regret. I mean, obviously, they're pretty interesting uh, as far as a fictional universe goes. But yeah. and and you do, I was thinking I was my son was watching the Clone Wars the other day and I was I was thinking to myself, 
there was something going on that I was like, wow, that's just really good writing. And that's really good um, storytelling. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, this is what George Lucas really wanted to do. You know, he yeah. wanted to make these big movies, but he, you know, from, from way back, he was drawing little stormtroopers, you know, and doing his pew, pew, pew thing. And he really wanted to do the climb. I mean, I'm just speaking anecdotally. I don't really know what George, George, I don't know really what you wanted to do, but I'm guessing that you, that there was so much going on in the Clone Wars and that this is, this is something you really wanted to make. And, um, and I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad we have them as a reference and there's so much interesting stuff. Um, I think his name is Master Krell, who is the kind of corrupt Jedi who is sort of secretly working for the separatists and he's sending all these clones mm. to a slaughter and it's 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 oh it's very disturbing um but it's but it's a microcosm each episode is kind of a microcosm of the problems of war um yes. and the problems of a technology based you know um existence a dominance based existence and you cheer you know like the way that we cheer on Ukraine in the face of Russia you know we don't want to see this country be dominated by a bully, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what's happening in the Clone Wars. But what happens when you lose your center, you lose your principles, you lose your values in throwing them at this conflict. And I think that's definitely what happened. And and I hate, I really, really, I'm so glad that you asked me to do this because I always love an opportunity to defend Obi-Wan from those people who say, oh, well, you know, Anakin fell to the dark side because Qui-Gon died and Obi-Wan had to take over and Obi-Wan wasn't the right master for him. Right. I just push back on that so hard, you know, because Obi-Wan had everything Anakin needed um, to succeed and had taught him so many valuable lessons. And he had Qui-Gon's teaching. He, I mean, like, yeah. you, you and Amy were talking about the importance of legacy, and that is so important in in Buddhism, in, in Buddhist teaching, mm-hmm. the legacy of who you were taught by and who that person was taught by, this is, is it's holy, it's divine, you know, it's, it it's um, transcendent. And, and so Obi-Wan had that, he had that, that legacy of Qui-Gon to offer, he was the only one who, who really could, um, to offer Anakin, and yet, you know, the Clone Wars intervened. And so I like to, sometimes I like to throw Yoda under the bus, sometimes I'm like, you know, Yoda can be kind of an asshole. You know, I don't know what's going on there, but like Baby Yoda can also be a little bit of an asshole. You know, so well, I don't know baby. if it's like a species thing. Maybe. Yeah, but he's also his assholeness sometimes transcends Baby. <laughs> Just like, wait, you're choking her? Like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. Well, with great power, sometimes we don't always use it responsibly. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so I I I want to throw the Clone Wars under the bus for Anakin's uh, downfall. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it just kind of moved everything toward sure. the exits much faster than it would have, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, despite, you know, there are times when I say that, like, this is the reason why Anakin fell, or this is the reason why Anakin fell. It really was just a perfect storm of all yeah. the things. You Absolutely. know, it, it wasn't just Qui-Gon dying or just Obi-Wan being a brother rather than a father figure or whatever you want. And then there, you know, it can be all of these things at the same time. And mm-hmm. so it's just the, the clone wars are just so revelatory, not only in exposing the issues with the Republic, but also with Anakin himself. And mm-hmm. it's psychologically, when you take a little boy away from his mother and you, you know, you take kids away from their parents or you try to make them grow up too fast to fit the factory model of a school, a school, not a specific school. 
it just, you know, sometimes kids grow up too fast and that creates issues or, you know, you take kids, you know, you take kids who can't read and you say, it's fine. I'm just going to push you through to the next grade because you can play football really well and you're scoring yeah. points yeah. for my school and you're bringing in money. Um, right. And now you're going, now you've graduated from college, you've blown, blown out your knee. You can't, you know, you can't, you're not of any use to the college football anymore, you know? Right. Okay. Bye. What do you do now? Right. You know, another, right. another issue with our, with our, with our illiteracy problem here in America. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You can tell I'm a reading teacher people, can't you? <laughs> that's a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing is there's so much applicability left and yeah. right to these, to these lessons that we learn through Star Wars that I, I, I do find myself bringing it in a lot. Um, and, and other IPs too, you know, yeah. <laughs> yesterday, my son, we had to go to, uh, um, an orientation at his school and the principal's a little long-winded let's just put it that way but he starts talking about her and he's using her first name to refer to her her full name but not mrs x or you know principal x but he's referring to you know first name last name (laughs) right the way i do when i'm talking to her about her to my husband you know and he's overhearing this and finally i just looked at him and i said excuse me it's Professor Snape, Harry. <laughs> he knew exactly <laughs> what I meant. He knew exactly what I meant. You know, I mean, uh, there's this, it, there, there's, you know, sometimes we forget. <laughs> yeah, it's a shorthand. It's, it's you know, these these stories give us a shorthand for the the lessons that we need to remember in life as well. So. Yeah. When in doubt. You know, it's not it's not only what would Jesus do, it's also what would Obi-Wan do? Well, what, what, Obi-Wan would Qui-Gon, do? what would Qui-Gon do? Oh like, such an important one. Uh, indeed. Yep. How do you think Obi-Wan's teaching approach changes from Anakin to Luke? Mm, such a good question. And of course, we have other people in between, in a sense, um, such as Leia right mm-hmm. such as Ezra mm-hmm. right and and who knows who else right yeah it, it is a good question so first of all Anakin poor Obi-Wan <laughs> what I always poor baby think. poor Obi-Wan so he didn't get to decide to be a Jedi master no he was ready to become a Jedi Knight he was ready to be on his own for a few years doing cool things, right? Yep. Would, would have loved to see some of those cool things that he might have gotten up to. Oh, my gosh. Is Obi-Wan Kenobi a teenage parent? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he's, oh. I think I would call him early 20s, maybe. Early 20s, yeah. But but, but yeah, but he's... Not he much of a break a... between school and, and parent. Wow. Very young single dad. Very, Very young, young single, single dad. dad. And so he and, and, you know, and this happens to him in the space that it takes Qui-Gon's heart to stop beating. Right. And this is this is his new reality. So he's got this charge and it's an unconventional charge. It's a going to be a difficult charge. He is going to be a difficult charge. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you imagine knowing what we know about Anakin and his propensity to become self-absorbed? And his defensiveness, I would say that he has got a defensiveness when he senses, when he feels like his weakness is exposed, he gets kind of overconfident to, to compensate for that. Exactly. Um, can you imagine how long it took 
for Obi-Wan to get him past the knowledge about his midichlorian count. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had to be a constant refrain for Obi-Wan to just say to this kid, that's enough about that. You're not better than these other people. Right. You need to work hard. That is what you need to do. And that is what Qui-Gon would tell you to do as well. You need to forget about how high your midichlorian count is and put in the work, you know. So this had to be a constant refrain to him. It had to be a constant. I mean, I get depressed a little bit, and you, I'm sure, will know this in your own mothering in a few years, but you just say the same things over and over and over and over. I already do. I already did. Exactly. Exactly. They're just, they'll just be different things that you start yeah. saying over and over and over. And, you know, it's, it can be so frustrating and it can wear on you. Um, and then you have the fact that this kid has such prodigious talent to manage. That talent has to be managed. So Obi-Wan mm-hmm. had to try to teach him how to manage that talent, how to, yeah. how to maximize it, you know, without, um, you know, over, overdoing it. Right. And so this had to be so difficult. And then, just when you get him to the place where, you know, he's probably going to be okay and he's almost to the threshold of a threshold of adulthood and then galactic war. Right. And so then, you know, it's like, well, he's not done, but we got to be done because now we're partners, you know, now right. we're, we're fellow generals in this war together. And by the way, we're going to throw in a 13 year old girl <laughs> to the mix that really both of us are parenting oh my- now. God, really? Like, who thought it was a good idea for Anakin to take on a Padawan? I'm sorry, but um, what the heck? You, you know what? Um, my son and I just watched the initial Clone Wars movie yesterday. He he just wanted to watch it. And I was like, you know, actually, this is a really good thing to watch right before Ahsoka. Yeah. And uh, I think it was I think it was Obi-Wan and Yoda. I think they conspired to assign Ahsoka to Anakin because Obi-Wan had said he wanted a new Padawan. Which kind of surprises me. Frankly, I think he would have needed a break. He said he wanted a new Padawan, but I think that was maybe a little bit of manipulation there. But honestly, teaching, and you know this, teaching teaches the teacher humility. Oh, boy. Because it's extremely mortifying, left and right, left and right. And I think that Obi-Wan and Yoda probably said, and this is just me, this is my headcanon. I think they probably said, this is the way to finish this guy off in a good way. Try not to finish him in a bad way, but they wanted to finish off his training, and that was to transition and have him be the master and see how ah. difficult it is to teach and and to try to get, especially with a headstrong Padawan, especially yeah. with a headstrong Padawan. So in that sense, Anakin was sent to help. I'm sorry, Ahsoka was sent to help Anakin finish his training, and I do I do think Obi Wan and just there was a look that Obi Wan had. <laughs> When Anakin says something, I don't know who whose idea was this, you know, Obi-Wan kind of was like, oh, yeah, he was in on this. So I it's, love it. it's a really fascinating um, situation. And and I also love the way Dave Filoni explains about like, well, we didn't know about An- Ahsoka. Her, Anakin didn't have a Padawan. He said, that's what he said to George when George said, we're going to have Anakin have a Padawan. And, and Dave says, Anakin didn't have a Padawan. And George just says, Anakin had a Padawan. He has spoken. <laughs> George has spoken. Everyone George listen. George has spoken. You listen, Dave Filoni. So, and you I'm are not, not s- God yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. You're so getting just, there, though. You're getting there in the Star Wars universe. So sorry. Okay. There is a long, Anakin Luke. So Anakin Luke. So Luke, with Luke, I mean, you know, of course, we see in the Obi-Wan show 
when how he's kind of crossed the threshold 10 years into his exile he's crossed the threshold and and Qui-Gon's like oh oh you can see me now huh (laughs) okay here we go because he's learning more to be in the moment stop living in the past like you and Amy were discussing how he you know he usually Obi-Wan's always a little bit ahead of the game but on Tatooine he's living in the past and he's just going over his mistakes and his perceived you know failures And it's just so hard to watch. And he's he has to cut himself off from his greatest ally, the Force, in order to stay anonymous, in order yeah. that those Inquisitors are not finding him right away because yeah. of his Force imprint, you know? Yeah. And so he's cut himself off from the Force, also because of his own personal pain. He feels yeah. abandoned. He's, you know, and so when he has, you know, after he has his adventure with, with Leia, and then, of course, you know, along the way, he teaches Reva, too right? He's able to be there for her as she makes this transition to trying to get her old self back, you know, to be her old self again and to be, um, uh, to walk in the light. And, and so he realizes that he must be in the present. If he's going to protect this child, he must be in the present. And, and that's where, you know, that's where his own transcendence is as well, is in the Mm -hmm. present moment. It's nowhere else. And so he, and so all of a sudden Qui-Gon appears to him and is like, yes, okay, let's get to work. Let's do do this. So when he gets to Luke, you know, it's all, he's just, he seems so just grateful, you know, to be in this kid's life, right? And, it, you know, the, that hello there. <laughs> you know? Hello there. Oh my gosh. It just, it just melted me. I was like, oh, he's been saving that one up. You know, he's just Grandpa Ben now, you yeah. know, he's, he's old Uncle Ben. And so he can be fully in the moment with Luke because he knows that that's how Luke will you know, redeem the situation and bring balance to the force mm-hmm. and, you know, save the Jedi and let the Jedi continue. You know, Ben has just been saving this up to pass it to Luke. And, um, and, and, you know, so he can, he can just be very open-handed about his teaching. You know, it's all just, you know, uh, it's all just a gift. It's all just yeah. a gift. And so, and, and he also knows, you know, Obi-Wan, has really learned, and we see this a lot in the Obi-Wan series. We see it maybe a little too much. He's learned when to sacrifice himself. I feel like in the series, it was a little bit, a little too plotty, you know, with a bit him. Plotty, okay, yeah. I'm gonna go sacrifice myself right. again, even yeah. though we were just fighting, so I didn't have to, you know, and then I'm gonna go sacrifice. But but it it's it runs well with his character because, you know, that's what we know him best as, is, yeah. is r- rising, you know, becoming more powerful than you can ever imagine because he's willing to give himself up as a distraction so the others can get away, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, so so that's, and, and that's the ultimate open-handedness, right? That is the ultimate, you know, um, sacri- self-sacrificial, you know, put self aside, you know, for the sake of the other, you know, that's the ultimate expression of that. And so, and so I think that that really characterizes his, his very short apprenticeship with Luke. Although it's longer, you know, it's longer, you know, because he has becomes a forest ghost. And then he also there's these these journals that he kept and these um, texts that he had that Luke discovers and he's able to use to to complete his own Jedi training. You know, Mm -hmm. so so Obi-Wan's influence lingers even even apart from being a force ghost, his influence lingers in these in these writings he leaves behind. You know, I didn't put this in my in my notes, so forgive me, um, but I'm really curious about your thoughts on episode six and their conversation like the whole certain point of view conversation Mm, mm. q 
he, I mean, he even says, yeah, what I told you was true from a certain point of view. At first, you know, growing up, I thought, okay, that's just a way for for Lucas to explain this like little plot hole that he created from episode four to episode five. But what do you think about that as like as, as a teaching moment? He's like, yeah, I lied to you. I only told you a half truth, but we weren't yeah. ready for that truth yet. Well, I think it's I, I think it's a reason that a lot of people point the finger at Obi Wan because it's kind of slimy. Now, it's a bit. It, what has fixed it? Because it's just it's 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 not it doesn't it doesn't express the integrity that we have come to know and expect from Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, it's well, one especially moment. right, especially from Ewan McGregor's portrayal of him in the prequels. Right, brilliance. However. This new Obi-Wan Kenobi show really puts that statement to Luke in a very different light. Because, you know, and I know you and Amy talked about this in the Qui-Gon episode, but, you know, Obi-Wan gets gets a mercy in that final duel with Vader in the last episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, That's really worth watching to anybody who hasn't seen that show. you know, and I think I think Anakin can be credited for that in some ways because I think he knew that Obi Wan, he knew Obi Wan best of anyone. Yeah. So he knew that Obi Wan would be suffering and self loathing and disconnected and just destroyed by by Anakin's own destruction. And so I think he, he some good instinct in him. Thank you, Padme. Some good instinct in him was coming through to let Obi-Wan off the hook um, to say, I destroyed Anakin. This is not your doing. I'm not your failure. Ooh, that's such a great line. I'm not your failure, Obi-Wan. Hit me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it had to hit him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So so when we go back to that line, which seems kind of slimy, then we're looking at it and we're seeing that Obi-Wan is doing Anakin. A solid mm. in what he tells his son because he in 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 many ways the obi-wan kenobi shows shows that he's telling him the truth the, and he's telling him what anakin would have wanted him to know and i i think there's some there's some valor in that you know yeah and there's definitely love and brotherhood in that mm-hmm. you know to to do right by your friend in what you tell their child that they can't talk to you yeah. know and and to help Luke know something of his father's of his father's strengths and his his father's you know gallantry and heroism you know yeah not just say your father made this big mistake and he he had an affair with this woman he got married when he wasn't supposed to and then he fell to the dark side and I tried to teach him he could have done all that he could have said yeah. all that you know but he didn't say that he chose to to bifurcate Vader from Anakin and. And I kind of have to respect that. I, I yeah. feel like he was doing Luke a favor and he was doing seriously doing Anakin a favor who had done him a favor by letting him mm. off the hook. So. Yeah, that's a really great way to, to, to tie it all together. And, you know, to Luke, I think that's really important because Luke needed to understand that there was an Anakin to go back to. Otherwise, you know, he would have gone the path that, that Yoda was probably thinking of in that there isn't anybody left to save. There isn't an Anakin to save. Mm-hmm. Whereas while they're one 
body, there are two personalities and two versions. There's Anakin and there's Vader. And while Anakin did ultimately make the choice, does he regret that choice? Only Luke can help him find out. You know, only Luke can bring him back. And so, yeah, I think that was, I think you're right. I think it 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 seems slimy at first on the offset, but that's the point of view that humanizes Vader. Mm-hmm. That reminds Luke that, you know, not only is, you know, and it's, you know, it's tough when you watch, say, uh, Rogue One and, you know, you see scary Vader, scary, I'm going to kill um, everybody in order to get the plans, Vader. But there was once an Anakin there. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's almost even scarier in Obi-Wan Kenobi. When he comes marching down the middle of that village and just killing people left and right or, oh, that was, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, because like my son is kind of just old enough to watch these live action shows, in my opinion. And like his face was behind a pillow. I mean, it's like, I just want to say out universe. I want to say, thanks for keeping Vader scary. Yeah. (laughs) Like we can't get too cuddly with Vader, right? We can't. And, you know, because he really is a terrible, terrible villain. Yeah. And I was I was kind of grateful for that scene in that sense, um, but yeah, I mean this this war is of Anakin's doing. This war, this internal war that he has, it's of his own doing, mm-hmm. and that and the fact that there is a Vader and there is an Anakin is the problem, right? Yeah, that there are two inside there, and the one has fully dominated the other, and exactly. you know technology has dominated the natural inclination to the transcendent, mm-hmm. and his strength of connection to the force through his natural biological gifts has caused him to get lost in the effulgence of the force right he's he's drowning in the he's drowned in the force to the point where his, his world has become dark yeah. and you know and it's and it's again it's despite obi-wan's teaching not because of it and and obi-wan you know after the show concludes obi-wan knows that now and he's re- yeah. he's ready to to get back to work on himself because he knows that he must continue to be there for Luke and and his what he told what he tells Luke is another expression of his commitment to protect the boy yeah and that's what is that's what it's about for him it is about protecting Luke and it's about protecting the future because that, that's what Luke and Leia represent they they represent the future of the galaxy both from the galactic republic sense and from the, the Jedi sense you know right. they are these embodiments of these things that died as a result of the Clone Wars. Right, right. Well, and and out universe, I would also say, I, I am a real, I'm, I'm a real advocate for transparency. So like, I would have laid it all out for those children. <laughs> like, let's talk about who your father is. Let's talk about who your mother is too. Like, yeah. she was pretty darn awesome, right? So let's talk about all that. But as the story goes, it's really much better to keep secrets. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of glad that though that, that, we saw more of Leia in, at least baby Leia in, in mm. Obi-Wan because that is who he's like, who Obi-Wan is kind of seeing Leia as, as oh, yes. an embodiment of Padme. Yeah. And he gets this moment of, this is who your mother was. I don't know if Luke ever gets that. No, no. it Yeah. And, um, 
and shameless um, self-promotion, but also promotion of one of our authors. So um, Amy Sturgis and I just um, released an edited collection of essays on Star Wars mm-hmm. by Vernon Press. Um, and we have an essay in it uh, by Eloise uh, Thompson Tremblay, just a brilliant reflection on mothers and motherhood and how it's depicted in Star Wars. And it's just so brilliant um, the way she highlights um, how disenfranchised and depowered and um, victimized mothers become yeah. in Star Wars. Um, and and how the franchise is in subtle moves working to transform that into not always being the message. Mm. <laughs> Mother, motherhood is a necessarily you know a depowering and um and disenfranchising experience right mm-hmm. and so um um so basically what i'm saying is i don't know where i was going with that but it's a great essay motherhood 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 Leia. yeah Le- well right and and yeah i do i do wish that these kids had more awareness of padme and who she yeah. was and exposure to her family too like why didn't <sighs> where's the rest of them we barely see them in, I mean, I, there's a mention of them, I think, in like when I read uh, one of the E.K. Johnston books mm-hmm. for Padme, but we did, we don't, I mean, um, there's the a boo didn't get scene. blown up, right? No. Yeah. No. So come on, go back there. Like, why? Put these people. I, I can, you know, sidebar, but <laughs> imagine if they had found out that Bail Organa just kind of yeeted with, with Leia, just like, excuse me, hi, we were here first, but no. Yeah. secrecy kind of had to happen i suppose well right and i get i get that i get that they couldn't you know um and i think you know i mean when we see padme in revenge of the sith in her funeral procession you know she still looks pregnant and i think i mean you know they did that on purpose i think they to did, make yeah. people think that the children died or the child died um and you know so obviously that's that's better you know for for leia um yeah yeah, we're running. We're running a field. We're running a field, yeah. but you know, um, it's a fascinating topic. It is. I wish it more is. people would treat the women of Star, the 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 mothers of Star Wars, especially. Yeah. And you know, it's it's just a such a ripe for conversation topic. What do you think about Obi Wan's teaching of Leia? Like this was, this was kind of thrust upon him. It wasn't a job that he wanted. It wasn't something that he was. There was no lesson plan for sure <laughs> that went with leia it was just no instruction she's in manual. trouble yeah there's no instruction <laughs> ma- and, and honestly even if you did have an instruction manual it's leia she doesn't follow the manual right please she is anakin's daughter anakin's daughter to a t in that sense so then how was his approach with her different especially in light of everything that obi-wan went through in the past that's a that's a great question to think about um well first of all you know he was i said earlier it's impossible to catch him off guard well he was caught off guard yeah that. <laughs> you know and again he's been disconnected from the force so yeah. now you can catch him off guard right because you know that's a precognition in the force is is a jedi skill you know it is and, he, and he's a master of it but he, he's caught off guard by this little girl who looks so much like padme and acts so much like anakin <laughs> And, you know, she won't listen. She's got her own ideas. Fortunately, she's small enough that he can throw her over his shoulder, mm-hmm. um, which is helpful in the beginning. Yes. And that is his approach in the beginning is just to throw her over his shoulder and and do what he needs to do, yeah. right? But he soon learns after chasing her through whatever planet that was, 
you know, he soon learns that he really can't do that with her. And he, and then, you know, she runs away from him because she's frightened. And then he has to, he has to reconnect to the force to save her. And, and it's a beautiful scene. It's a really beautiful scene. But I think from there on, he realizes that he needs to remember his teaching from Qui-Gon so long ago and, and yeah. what didn't work with Anakin and what, what, what the situation requires. Right. Yeah. And so he reconnects with that and things start going a whole lot better. Um, he, you know, he's got just this absolute will to survive. And Obi-Wan is the reason the Jedi order survives, right? Which is why I'm super excited about Ray movies because I want to see her connect with Force Ghost in a, or uh, Obi-Wan played by Ewan McGregor. I'm just so excited. I just want to see that so bad. So uh, that's my official request, Disney. There it is. Okay. It's not like we can bring Alec Guinness, Alec McGinnis back. So why would we when we have old Ben? We have a young Ben transitioning to old Ben, although Ewan McGregor needs to maybe age a little bit. Like he should think about going out in the sun, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Rides a motorcycle a lot. I don't know. He needs to take his hat off. I, I think that's editing okay. though. I think that's I think that's TV editing, you know? Like you think the, so? I, I think so. Like you yeah. if you know just shine shine a few more lights, maybe like buff the makeup a little bit and you'll right. be fine. So um so so yeah, so he does shift gears and and gosh, you know, he starts figuring out to trust her mm -hmm. and that scene in the fifth episode where he you know Roken doesn't want to trust her to go and fix the make the gates open the doors open yeah. so that they can escape but she's the only one who can do it because she's little and yeah. and you know and Obi-Wan's like okay I know whose kid this is she probably can fix it you know she probably just has the instincts and the midichlorians to fix this thing right? exactly so and she does and she succeeds and then you know and then she has to turn around and trust him when he says i, I gotta go fix this problem you know one yeah. last time i gotta go fix this problem and and so so she does so they learn to trust each other which is really a beautiful thing to watch with those two characters and then of course you know we see the love and affection that has grown between them and his willingness to be a little bit transparent with her you yeah know, and to say to her i'm going to tell you just a little bit about your parents and she doesn't want to know too much you know she yeah. stops that conversation she's just like it's okay it's okay and i know that you know i my family includes adopted members and so it's really interesting to me to see you know what you know i think for adoptive children i don't know i can't i can't speak for adoptive children but i just imagine that when you have these parent, these adoptive parents who are so good and so good to you. And it's not always perfect, but it, they're still, you can tell their love and you can, you experience it every day. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't necessarily need all that information about your adoptive family. You're, you're okay. You're okay. And I think that's what Leia expresses. She must be one of those adoptive children that's like that, you know, cause she's like, that's okay. I got the, yeah. these guys over here. They're, yeah, yeah. We're, all, we're all okay. She, she does say in the beginning of the show that she feels a disconnect Mm -hmm. So it does make me wonder, like the the inform. I I wonder if Obi Wan, whether through the Force or otherwise, just knew that that particular those particular tidbits were what she needed in yeah. order yeah. to move forward. Like she, I she, love that. The, I would imagine that there are those who like I. There's still a question of where did I come from, 
and yeah, who were my parents and what parts am I, where's this, you know, I didn't come from Bale and Brea. They may have raised me, but there's still a question of something quote unquote missing. Right. And perhaps everybody gets real quiet when I ask, (laughs) why is that? Everyone's like, Mm. (laughs) yeah. And while, you know, that telling her that, you know, your father, you know, it is is the most evil one of the most you know evil soldiers of the galactic empire you know that's probably not something a child her age needs to hear but yeah. you know he knows he knows what leia is looking for in that answer he knows mm-hmm. that she wants to know what parts of her parents are who she is perhaps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but right. again i don't have that experience of being adopted i don't have that experience yeah. of you know there's you know, there, there's an experience there that I'm just not privy to. And so I can only speculate. Well, and I think that's a really good point. I, I Yeah. So I want to amend it to say, you're right. She does. She is questioning and not just because her cousin's being mean to her, but she is questioning, you know, why, yeah, where she comes from. Because she does. She asks him some pointed questions about it. And, but then I think through their interactions and through what happens with her and how serious she realizes that the situation is mm-hmm. she, and having the adventure with Obi-Wan, she, she gets that itch scratched, you know, she, does, she gets yeah. that urge satisfied and, and she kind of sees her own parents in a new light. Of course, being abducted from your parents is a great way to see your parents in a new light. Right. Indeed, so, indeed. You know, so, so then when she comes back, she's like, I, I'm okay. I'm okay yeah. with these guys over here, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I don't necessarily need to know all about these people, but the things that he says about them, I mean, so there are like three star Wars that just make me sob. <laughs> so the first one was revenge of the Sith on Mustafar when they're fighting and Obi-Wan says, you are my brother, Anakin. I can't even talk about it. I need to move on. The second one is in the end, Jedi Knight in the fourth season of Star Wars Rebels. Won't say what happens, but the end of that episode, me sobbing on the couch, Mm -hmm. my child, very embarrassed. Um, (laughs) And then, so now we have a third one to add and it is in Obi-Wan Kenobi when he says to her, let me just tell you a few things about your parents. Here are, here are the gifts that they have given you. Exactly. She needed to know the gifts. And, and she needed it's... to know that they were her gifts as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Like that you are not cut off from these people. They live in you. Yes. And that is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Great, great scene. Oh, such a good show. Such a good show. Oh, my gosh. And it also, you know, to bring it back to real life teaching, it's a great you know the whole relationship between the two of them is a great reminder that not every student is the same while he's Mm. afraid to go back to teaching as it were he learns that this isn't going to be a repeat of Anakin because Leia is not Anakin Mm -hmm. they are two different people Mm -hmm. and so I wonder you know that's I wonder if that was what he was afraid of to interact with Luke like he was afraid to damage Luke in the same way that and, and, you know, he finds out that he didn't damage Anakin. It's just, that's just how it happened. He still feels he did, though. But he I'm still sh- feels, I'm sure, oh, sure. You know, he, he, he's not living with it every single day like a, a best friend he never wanted. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I think, you know, he, he still has that pain. And, I, and I, sure. yeah, and there is that caution. He, yeah. he does, he seems to approach Luke in A New Hope with a lot of caution, you know, which is on brand for him. But it at the is. same time, it's, it's a caution of somebody who's really been hurt and who feels that they've hurt others 
he's so grandfatherly you know he's just so benevolent um Mm -hmm. that it's it's lovely but it's also sad you know it is but it's it's a lesson that I wonder uh, as every teacher learns you know because you go through your teaching career and you have different examples of students of different situations where you know by the time you get towards the end of your you, you become a veteran teacher you know is that how do you how do you approach based with all of that wealth of knowledge that you have and all that experience you have because not every student is the same right yeah? right and they all they all teach you something different all the students right. teach you something different right yeah that's so true i remember back to the beginning of my teaching career and how i pounced on incidents of academic dishonesty you know and the way i approach them now which is just totally different you know, mm-hmm. to, I, I mean, I'm like, try to lead with mercy. Yeah. You know, try to, I mean, obviously it's a serious thing and it has to be dealt with in a serious way, but, but like, you know, and part of that is like, there's been a change, I think, in the way students, uh, the way, you know, people view plagiarism, you know, yeah, it's like just totally not a, not a, and there's cultural differences too, between the way, you know, Americans might view plagiarism and, you know, somebody else from a, around the world might mm-hmm. be plagiarism, you know, so there's cultural differences too. So it's like, that's the thing you just have to lead with mercy. And I love, I love that. That's what, how he comes across to Luke. He's just like, so open-handed, you know, yeah. cause he's learned. He's really learned. He's learned. The teacher has learned. And the teacher has learned and boy, do we, boy, mm-hmm. do we. Mm-hmm. I would love to look at the flashbacks in episode five of Obi-Wan because that is a classroom moment. Like that's as close to a quintessential classroom moment that we get in the show with Obi-Wan. You know, outside of battles, chaos, just trying to get to the next moment. Nope, this is a controlled environment where the student and the teacher are learning. It's a lightsaber training session between Obi-Wan and Anakin. It's used in the show to highlight the tension in that moment between Obi-Wan and Vader, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I've learned from this teaching moment, so I'm going to approach Vader in this way. But what does it show us about Obi-Wan's teaching methods and about the, relate the, again, the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin? It's such a great question. And I that's just brilliant how they use that scene and intersperse it throughout this later conflict, you know, that the two are having where they're reading each other's strategies, you yes. know, they're, they know each other so well and they're reading each other and they're, and they're trying to respond, but you know, Obi-Wan's reconnected with the force now. So it's going to be hard. It's going to mm-hmm. be hard for Anakin. So another, another reference I'll make to this, this book, um, uh, the Jedi path manual for students of the force by Ryder Wyndham, non-canon, but extremely valuable. Um, everyone should read it if you're interested in the Jedi. Um, there, there are two different, well, there are several different lightsaber combat forms. Hmm. And um, Obi-Wan um, use, he favors form three. Okay, now some of my speaking about this is coming from non-canon sources, but I really think that they're still pulling on these. Mm-hmm. So form three relies on, it's a defensive strategy. It's really great for deflecting blaster bolts. And um, I think it developed after that. In the visual dictionary, it says that Obi-Wan, after Qui-Gon's death, Obi-Wan began to focus on Form 3. 
Um, and I think that's a really important tidbit to know because I think he probably thought if Qui-Gon would have been using this, but of course Qui-Gon may have been, but if, you know, if Qui-Gon, maybe I could have saved Qui-Gon with this. I don't, you know, who knows? Who knows? But, but it's such an interesting, because it relies on precognition in the force. So you mm. just can't, that's why you can't catch him off guard is because he's seeing things before they happen. And so you can imagine how that's working. But when you're watching those two in that show battle, you can see that that's what's happening with Obi-Wan because Obi-Wan's, Anakin's using the dominance form. It's form four. And this is, this is just a dominance form. This is when a, a fighter has a greater stature, a greater you know, body weight, a greater strength, physical strength, form four is probably going to be a good form to use. And Anakin uses that. Also, he is into dominance. He's yeah. got this It's very much dominate. attack, attack, attack. And that's it the is. point that you know, Obi-Wan tries to reiterate, like his need to prove himself, et cetera. Well, right. And you have to kind of wonder about the Jedi and the Jedi philosophy and the whole presence of Form 4. And it's kind of like, why is this even a thing? <laughs> you know. So this battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin is also a battle between these kind of conflicting aspects of the Jedi Order. Mm. Dominance. Yeah, of course we can dominate. We can float rocks. Of course we, yeah. you know, we can throw them at you if we need to, you know. So, so of course we can dominate because we have this transcendent power. But that transcendent power should probably be used to solve problems before their problems you know instead mm. of dominating other people we should be using it to defend life and to create peace or or to preserve peace you know mm -hmm. and so obi-wan and anakin in that scene are really showing off those two forms and and um and and throughout the episode it's the same it's the same obi-wan is constantly strategizing and and reading the room ahead of what's actually happening to be where he should be in the moment. Mm -hmm. And Anakin is trying to dominate, 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 dominate until of course, in the, in the end of that episode, he, you know, finish, tries to finish the job with Reva, you know, mm -hmm. um, that he started when she was a Padawan or a, a youngling. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting um, episode in that regard. And, you know, I, I'm, I was so taken with reading this book about the lightsaber forms and thinking about Obi-Wan and Anakin that I actually wrote my one and only piece of fan fiction, which I've never like put anywhere. It's just, it's in a box in my, in my basement and it's novel length. But there is a scene in it in which Anakin and Obi-Wan, Anakin's about 13, and his master Obi-Wan are asked by Yoda to demonstrate their lightsaber forms, Form 3 versus Form 4, in front of a group of younglings. Mm. So I just had so much fun writing the scene and, and then writing a little teaching moment with Obi-Wan and Anakin with the younglings to kind of demonstrate to kind of articulate what they've just demonstrated. So so I'm super passionate about that. And and when yeah. they pulled that scene into Obi-Wan Kenobi, I was like, yes, double yes, triple yes. This is exactly what ought to be happening here. <laughs> so brilliant. Because he's learning the same lessons. It's the same lesson that I wanted to I wanted to convey in what I wrote. And Anakin's only 13, you know? Yeah. And yet obviously he's much older. You know, this is an Attack of the Clones era scene. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell by the Obi-Wan Jesus hair. Yes. And, you know, so it's just, it's so beautifully consistent with what's, and that's why I'm always like, hey, this book, you know, like they're really, this, um, the Jedi path, they're really drawing on a lot of that mm -hmm. legends material to inform 
what they're doing. And it's, it's super, it's appreciated. It is. Yes. And that, that scene, those scenes are just so on point with their characters and Anakin perhaps not like he does have a need to prove himself like oh i'm the chosen one or i've got the high midichlorian count so i have to you know i have to be strong i have to do this and obi-wan's constantly going defense 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 okay you need connect to connect to the force connect to the force the force is that undercurrent that you're lacking right like you're you're using the force as a weapon not as a part of yourself or as a tool and it's so good it is so good it is so good it is so good yeah i want to read your fan fiction though (laughs) i might let you i will share i'll particularly share that scene with you i'll share the whole thing if you're interested but i'll particularly share that scene with you because i like i said i had a lot of fun with it and i but i think it turned out well in the end because so like in in it says in the in the jedi path this form three, which I'm just fascinated by, like the idea of precognition, you know, yeah. in the, uh, let's see, because this technique, the circle of shelter is a precognitive state, prolonged use of it may open a Jedi's mind to long-term visions. <gasps> and right. Cause you're, you're constantly working your brain yeah. one moment ahead. And so you're starting to see five years ahead and 10 years ahead. And so in, in the scene, I have Obi-Wan slip into a vision of battling Anakin to the death, surrounded by molten lava, right? All of a sudden he just flashes there and he has to kind of pull himself back out and say, okay, all right, I know this is, I don't know what that was, but right now I'm in front of a bunch of younglings. And so we're going to just keep on going here. And, and it was just so fun to be able to work in these different elements of what I learned from this, you know, this really random text, but very, very um, compelling, you know, little book. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's fun. I'll I'll send it to you. So much fun. I yeah. yeah. A little a little snippet. A little snippet. Yes, I love it. Oh. Yeah. See, and and that's why I love I love doing this because teaching is just so prevalent everywhere, whether it's in you know the real world or it's in Star Wars. You know, it's there. We we learn and we learn things and teachers teach things, and it's so great. Right, right, exactly. And I mean I had a kid at the when I was writing it. I had a kid who was at, at the age of a little youngling that would have been in Yoda's class, you know, so I was, con- I was thinking, you know, you're always thinking, and you do too. So, you know, you're constantly thinking about like, what would my baby do, you know, in this situation, if he saw this, like, what would his reaction be, you know? So Emily, what source material would you recommend for those who are interested in Obi-Wan or interested in perhaps teaching throughout the Jedi religion, the Jedi order? What would you recommend? Well, first and foremost, the book I've referred to many times, The Jedi Path, Manual for Students of the Force, because if you want to know about Obi-Wan, you you learn about the Jedi Order and their principles, because he is the quintessential Jedi. He's the one who carries it through to its survival, you know, up, up until Ray's time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there have been, you know, obviously you can't list them all, uh, all the sources that contain Obi-Wan, because it's so, he's so per- pervasive as a character. But right. a new book, uh, I know that... Um, uh, that you and Amy mentioned in the Qui-Gon episode is um, Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. Great, great book. Um, An even newer one, I think, is called Brotherhood uh, by Mike Chen. It's an adult novel. 
um, and it is about Obi-Wan and Anakin and um, a situation that Obi-Wan gets into and that Anakin um, helps him with. And it's all about their relationship and it's very well done. Very well done. Um, I have another one here and I, I brought it with me into the studio. Sorry to make a bunch of noise because I just want to hold it up so you can see the cover. It's yes. called pa- Padawan. Padawan. And it's Kirsten White. It's a YA novel, and it's got the most stunningly gorgeous illustration of Ewan McGregor's teenaged Obi-Wan um, that I've Phantom ever seen. Phantom Menace Obi-Wan, yes. Oh, gosh. And, and it's because it takes place before that, obviously, and so it's, yeah. he's even younger. Mm-hmm. And, but yet the, the illustration is just gorgeous. It almost looks like maybe the way you'd see him in Rebels if he was a teenager. You yeah. know, I mean, just like a rebel style animation, but um, really, really gorgeous um, book. And and I have to say, I'm a little harsh on Star Wars novels because sometimes they tie in fiction doesn't always follow the kind of rules of fiction writing that I want them to follow. Like, let's get out of the head. Let's see some action. Let's, you know, and they do that a lot, don't they? They do. But I think that's the point of them. I think they they're a place where you can really be up in a character's head where you can't be in you can't be yeah. doing that in a film there's or a lot a of action in this tv and shows and not a lot of we don't see the inner monologue because it's inner right. obviously right. so they indulge in it a lot because i think that is what readers of this type of fiction want so i've had to kind of reconcile with that over the years sure th- that story is surprisingly good um padawan so very highly recommended I'm trying to get my kid to read it too because it's it's i i would say an advanced middle reader could definitely handle that book mm-hmm. um and so then there's uh oh there was a comic series a few years ago called obi-wan and anakin it it was like five issues five or six issues it's probably it's definitely an omnibus now um so you can probably get that from your local library really great story really wonderful exploration of the relationship of obi-wan and anakin when anakin is is a kind of a middle teen he's so he's 13 14 15 maybe and also some excellent treatment of the interference of Palpatine ah. in their relationship and in Anakin's upbringing, how really Palpatine is filling the hole that Qui-Gon left as a yes. father figure and that this is not good. And and so that was really interesting to me um, because like I said, the fanfic I wrote several years several years ago is definitely an exploration of that relationship of Obi-Wan and Anakin and, and trying to figure out what went wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Ryder Wyndham, same author of The Jedi Path, has another book called The Life and Legend of Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's not canon, but it's excellent. I haven't read it for several years, but I pulled it off my shelf and I noticed I had like seven or eight flags in it. So it must be really interesting because I started marking it up. Um, well, I mean, I just, we've already mentioned it, but the Star Wars Rebels episode Twin Sons, which is season three, episode 20, is just Obi-Wan Kenobi perfection. You know, literally I mean, you know, this is like Obi-Wan at his finest. And it's it's just, it's, it's my favorite duel in Star Wars. Um, it, it takes half a second, but it's my favorite duel in Star Wars. Um, and, and then I would also point people to the role Obi-Wan plays throughout Rebels, which is really as that recorded, you get this extended version of the message, you know, in in Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan just goes back to Yoda and says, okay, I left a message for all other Jedi, warning them away from the temple. Yeah. And that's all you hear. But in Rebels, you hear the message and you hear the whole message and it's quite inspiring. And it's quite moving as a testament to the, to the 
the ability for the order to survive even this, right? Because he says, yeah. trust in the force, you know, and, and save yourselves. But it's so it's, it's a really great, um, a really great message. I would definitely recommend Rebels for that reason, too. For all the reasons. Yeah, just recommend Rebels anyway, you know, just yeah. just for just for kicks, but because it's awesome. So those are those are those are some of my favorite Obi-Wan sources. Um, there's hundreds more, I'm sure. But oh, yeah, including, you know, all those episodes of the Clone Wars, you know, exactly. And Obi-Wan Kenobi the show, right? I mean, there's just so much, but there's so much. Yeah. But source th these these look like really great source materials. Um, I look forward to finishing Master and Apprentice and going to Brotherhood. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is quality, quality mm -hmm. stuff. Emily, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. I mean, I know you don't need an excuse to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> but thank you anyway. And thank you for putting up with my scheduling shenanigans. Oh, no, you're fine. Thank you for um, putting up with my overshare, my Obi-Wan overshare, which is like the mode no that I'm thing. constantly in because I just love him so much. And I will admit that I do strongly personally identify with Obi-Wan Kenobi in many of his qualities and many of his, you know, um, both his his strengths and his weaknesses you know mm -hmm. and as a, as a teacher so he's he's so close to my heart so thank you thank you thank you first of all for doing this really important podcast and secondly for inviting me to be part of it and of course and i shall certainly invite you to come on again because there's just no end to what we could talk about with obi-wan kenobi he's there's there shall be more there shall there be more. shall be more there, not even there's there's just there's no question it shall be done yes amen amen to that love it i would <laughs> come back in a heartbeat. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or your other favorite podcast feeds. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a rating and a review as well. You can read and find out more about Teaching with Magic by visiting our website, teachingwithmagic.blog. You can leave a message on our podcast page, read past Teaching with Magic posts, and check out our book lists on our affiliate page. We also invite you to support us on Patreon. You'll have access to bonus material, our Discord channel, live Q&As, and you'll get a sneak peek at future products such as lesson plans, worksheets, and other teaching tools. The link is always available in our show notes and the podcast page on our website. Thanks again for joining us, and as always, keep making magic. <laughs>